Hello. Alyssa and I are here today before our episode because we wanted to record a preamble um, to today's episode. Episode six and episode five were both recorded before um, last week's election. Arwen and I have been sitting here talking about how the whole election year up to and including the election have really um, brought into a much sharper focus for Arwen and myself the utter fear and hatred and racism that exists on a daily basis in America. And also the reality that half of all eligible voters in this country did not vote this year. So we're not going to wax on about that, but we do want to to take a quick minute to say we did finish this episode before the election, and uh, this medium is about listening. It's a really intimate medium. So this week on social media, we're going to be highlighting some of the things that we are listening to, uh, some of the shows and podcasts that we are listening to. And we want to hear from you, what you're listening to, things that you think we should hear. And we also want to hear from you. If you want to write to Alyssa and I, you can reach us at podcast at subpop.com. Yep. We're here. We think that your voice is important. And not that listening is in itself enough, but I think that it's a way to start start things. I think action is really important. I think listening is part of that. But we also want to continue to bring you the show. And so we are going to present episode six, the episode we finished about a month ago. Yeah. Featuring uh, Jimmy and Ben from the Postal Service. We want to just present that and say that we'll be back next week with another episode. Yeah. Thank you so much. And we really want to hear from you. Thanks. Hi, I'm Alyssa. Oh, I can't say I'm Alyssa. I'm Melissa. I mean, people know your name isn't Melissa by now, right? Do you say I'm Arwen? I'm Arwen Nix here with Alyssa Atkins, yeah. Hmm. I mean, people probably think I'm Marwin. Marwin. <laughs> I don't know. Hello and welcome to the Sub Pop Podcast. I'm your host, Alyssa Atkins, here with your other host, the lovely Arwen Nix. Sup? Hi. Hey. How are you? <laughs> I'm tired. You're tired? Yeah. I'm really excited for this episode. This but you're a- feeling sleepy. But I'm a little sleepy. Okay. But I get to have night coffee tonight. Oh, night coffee. Yeah. It's almost is- as good as night cheese. What is and that's that from 30 Rocks. <laughs> Welcome to the Sub Pop Podcast, episode six of season two. Couldn't be more happy about having our postal service episode. Yeah, today is a special episode. So for season two, we've brought you an episode from the airport. We have. We've gone to Portland. We Last did. week we were in Los Angeles, and today is another special episode. It's well, we're still a little bit in Los Angeles, right? True. We're 50% in Los Angeles for 50% of the interviews in this. Yeah, let's complicate this. Yeah. I but like it's, it. it's our Postal Service episode. We're talking to Jimmy Tamborello and Ben Gibbard. Right. Jimmy Tamborello of the Postal Service and Dentel. Yes. Ben Gibbard of Death Cab for Cutie and the Postal Service. Yeah. 
So those are the founding members of the Postal Service. Not to forego Jenny Lewis, who is no. also in the Postal Service, who no, you may also know from Rilo Kylie or episodes of Roseanne or that video game movie that I can't remember the name of that has Fred Savage in it when they go to the dinosaurs that are also in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Someone please tweet at us the name of that movie. No one needs that information. Actually, I don't bring my phone into the studio, and I can't look these things up, and it's making me crazy. (laughs) But anyway, Jenny Lewis, who's also a dreamboat, she's not in this, but she was in the Postal Service. The Postal Service Sub Pop's best-selling artists outside of Nirvana's Bleach for their album "Give Up." Yeah, that thing went platinum. By the way, insane! Like platinum is like, I know it sounds impressive, but like if you look up the numbers. It seems nearly impossible. <laughs> and they did it. They did it with Give Up. It was the record that would not die. Talk about Beloved. Oh, my God. Yeah. That album means quite a bit to quite a few people. Clearly. Yeah. And Ben was in two bands at the time. <laughs> like, it's busy times. I think it was in 2013 or so when Ben finally was like, we're not getting back together. <laughs> they did a 10th anniversary release. And they toured for that, and it was very special and really cool. And then he was like, okay, really, though, we're yeah. done. But they're not done because they're on the podcast today. Yeah. We alluded to the fact that we're still in L.A. for the Jimmy interview. Mm-hmm. Last, last episode, Arwen was interviewing CSS and Jonah Ray, and she had been in L.A. She was there for a few days. Yeah. We were there together. Then I left. She did a bunch of interviews. I would... We would be checking in with each other to see how everything was going. Mm-hmm. These interviews comprise mostly of Arwen showing up to people's houses, as we love to do to Arwen. Oh, goodness, yes. Drive around <laughs> LA, show up to a new friend's house, soon to be a new friend, yeah. and interview them. But this one is the only time I got uh, like distress signal <laughs> from Arwen. Like, I honestly think that I might cry just thinking about how traumatized I was. Not by Jimmy. I don't want to say Let's that. Let's be clear. Right. Let's be clear. What had happened is that I had been in Los Angeles for a few days doing interviews. Yes. And then I was going to Jimmy Tamborello's house to interview him. All fine and good. And I get there and I had I don't I don't I still don't know exactly what had happened but I turn on my recording kit and something is happening with my memory card in my recording kit and I start kind of frantically pressing buttons because this has never happened to me before and I'm very confused I've had this recording kit for a while and it says overriding card (laughs) while you're in Jimmy's house we're sitting at the dining room table and I know that I am losing all of the interviews that I have on the card, which is my week's worth of work. Interviews that we heard on last, on the last episode. So Jonah Ray, CSS, Some of them. Yeah. yes, yes, <laughs> would have just been. Thank you for your time. Gone, gone. Well, and I'm in this position where I am then faced with the choice: where do I do the interview with Jimmy, knowing? that I have deleted this and if I record I'm recording over I am ruining the possibility of saving these interviews so do I say I'm so sorry I cannot do this interview I have screwed up my memory card risking the interview with him and potentially the other ones or do I just say like 
okay, let's do this and see if I can at least get an interview with Jimmy oh, so God. that I have something to come back with from this trip. <laughs> so at the beginning it's of... It's not funny. Oh, God. It's only sad. Yeah. And so the reason we mentioned this is that we left in this interview those first horrible moments where Arwen still doesn't know what's lost and what can be saved or retrieved. Sorry about that. Okay. <sighs> okay. We're just gonna we're just gonna forget about that for a minute. Hi. Hello. Uh, will you say your full name? Jimmy Tamborello. And uh, thanks for having me at your house. I'm sorry that I am now in a, an emotional wreck because I just ruined my last two files. So let's not talk about that. I mean, I've had this thing of about dying songs for a long time for most of my music making life. And it started from, I was listening to that song, An Ending Ascent by Brian Eno, it's like from the Apollo soundtrack. It's a real pretty ambient song. And I was driving through a big intersection and like a lot of times when I drive through big intersections, I'll like think the car's gonna T-bone me. <laughs> And and how like it would be kind of epic that way, like uh, like to go with like a good soundtrack. So then I just ever since then I've always thought about like certain songs as like good for for that situation, and it kind of fits with like the, my favorite songs too, like that that mood for like a lot of kind of melancholy and pretty stuff, but kind of sad. there was a Jesu song but I don't remember what it was but that was kind of like for when you are saving someone's life and then you die <laughs> just don't forget that it's dumb luck that got you here don't fool yourself misfortune's waiting for the best do you have any songs that you've made that you feel would be good for? I mean, a lot of them, I mean, that's what I'm going for a lot of the time. Um, and I've also, a, a few of the songs that I've actually written lyrics for are, have been from the perspective of ghosts or like people that have died. Um, have you always thought about that stuff? I mean, has that always been swimming around for as long as you can remember? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I've talked to other people that had this, but like when I was a kid, I would imagine scenarios where someone broke into the house and tried to kill me and how I would get out of it. Like kind of dark stuff like that. You can't trust your friends. 
I go through cycles of like every few years starting to think that I'm going to die. Like kind of like hypochondriac type mm -hmm. stuff. Um, I don't know. It's not that extreme. And I go through different levels of acceptance of it too. Like it's not always a bad thing. And um, yeah, I guess I think about it probably a little bit more than than is healthy but like it's not it doesn't rule my life you have a very like serene presence you're very calm and quiet is there a part in your life where you are or of your life or personality where you're loud where you feel raucous only in my like neuroses or like just anxiety and stress and like overanalyzing things and being socially awkward so your brain it's all, is it's the all loud like inside <laughs> all the loud parts but it just doesn't come out that much have you always been um calm presence yeah yeah i think i mean i don't think of myself as that calm inside but i think to like I've served that purpose to other people or like that's how I come across I think a lot of the time. Yeah. And then I've been working on new Dentel stuff but haven't really been able to figure out what direction to go in. I have a, like a lot of new stuff started, but nothing that's that feels like like an album. Yeah, like lately in general, like like I've been teetering on on like wanting to retire <laughs> from music. <laughs> it's been I've been in like a struggling phase but I've gone through these before just have to kind of wait it out and if you were to retire from music what would you do I don't know I mean that's why I don't think I should One of my favorite quotes from our, from season two belongs to Jimmy Tamborello oh, right there. What do you got? If you were to retire from music, what would you do? I don't know. I don't think I should. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I love that. He really made me feel better. Calming presence. He is. And like with the amount of like terror I had after what had happened at the beginning, he was the perfect person to be around and it was so nice and Thank you again, Jimmy, for letting me sit in your home and be kind of a wreck and being so calm and open and kind with me. As soon as I left, though, I did get in the car and cry and call <laughs> Alyssa and leave a frantic, frantic voicemail. 
Yeah. And then when I finally got back to the house that I was staying at, I couldn't get out of the car for like half an hour because I was like, once I get out of the car, I'm going to have to face that this is real and try and figure out how to fix it. Anyway, let's do a Megamart ad. The bus that I got on this morning was full of aisle sitters, people who the other seat was empty. And it's a busy bus route going downtown, but half of the bus was people alone in these things sitting on the aisle with their legs like widespread and either their bag or even no bag in the seat closer to the window. Like, do you say something to people or do you just let people live and be terrible? I think, well, I think it depends on what your read on the person is. Sure. (laughs) But I think you go like, hey, can I sit down? But who does that? A psychopath. A psychopath does that. Yeah. You want to do some Megamart ads? Sure. Okay. Not ready, but... Stuart, why should I sign up for the Megamart newsletter? Oh, the Megamart newsletter. Yeah. Is where you get all your information about things that are going on at the Megamart. Like what? New releases that we're putting out, pre-orders we have, new t-shirt designs we have in the store. And also I think there's some little tidbits of news in there. What? I just don't understand what purpose it serves. Just to get it first? What, how else are you going to find out about it? I don't know. Maybe you have like a little alarm and you just like check the Megamart once a month. To pe- I don't think regular people do that. Oh. I'm going to have no snarky comment post Megamart ad this time. Okay. Okay. You know I'm a fan of them. I just like to. I am though, because I it gives me an opportunity to to snark out. Yeah, Uh, and then to be proud of myself for not snarking out. It's (laughs) win-win. These are all positives. Speaking of positives, Ben Gibbard has some like real positivity coming through in this interview, and I mean that as like a hey, this is really great to hear. Ben was so. What's the right word? Like affirming to yes. talk to. For a special thanks to Julia Shapiro because she nudged Ben towards from Chastity Belt. Yeah, from Chastity Belt. Uh, she went on tour. Chastity Belt went on tour with uh, Death Cab for Cutie last year, and they were hanging out recently. And the podcast came up, and she was like, "Oh, you should totally talk to Arwen for the podcast. She's not the worst." And he was like, "Okay," and he said yes. And um, so thank you, Julia, for putting us on Ben's very busy radar. Right. Because he was such a, like, we had asked him, but he was so busy that it was hard to, like, figure out when exactly this was going to well, happen. we had asked him when he was training for a 100-mile race. And somehow he didn't have time to do it, which we're forgiving him for. One hundred mile race, by the way, doesn't even register in this brain of mine. Where I'm like, that's not possible. I'm so I don't so know what words you're saying to me. What does he call them? Ultras? Yeah. Apparently, an ultra marathon is anything that is over um, the length of a marathon. So you could have like a 30k that's an ultra, but oh, usually they're God. like 50 miles or 75 or 100 miles. I just knew by the sound of ultra that I didn't want anything to do with it. 
for me personally in my life, <laughs> not for him. <laughs> so, I, yes, it sounds so hard. What's the opposite of an ultra? Arwen and Alyssa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See you at the finish line. Um, so, yeah, you get to talk ultras with Ben Gibbard. You get to talk cease and desist notices, pre yeah. and post cease and desist. Yeah, some interesting legalese with Ben Gibbard talking about ultra marathons, all these different things. And I want to say that, like, he let me come to his office to interview him, which is in the Smith Tower, which is a building in Seattle that was built in 1914. <laughs> what else is it? A tattoo on your head? Yeah. It's my favorite building in <laughs> Seattle. And I have it tattooed on my skull. Head tattoo. Yeah. It's a really nice building. It is a very nice building. Yeah. Rumor has it that the first ever lesbian bar in Seattle was in the basement of the Smith Tower when it opened. In the basement of the Smith Tower. Yeah, it was a speakeasy. I mm. don't know if that's true, but I like to believe it. <laughs> but I choose to believe it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Arwen in the Smith Tower. <laughs> My mother's maiden name is Smith. Really? Tower? <laughs> Just Smith. Oh, okay. Yeah. Another thing I really liked before we get into the interview is how... Ben has just the best things to say about Jimmy Tamburello. Those two, nice? those two seem to have a very nice friendship. Yeah. We'll start there. Okay. Adorable, right, Jimmy? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got to go to his house, and there were all his, like, weavings and things he's, a, he's It's amazing, right? Oh, like, it's fucking incredible. Jimmy is one of those guys who... There are certain people whose they can't corral their creativity. That every They cannot not be creative. I mean, for me personally, I could see a time... I, I mean, I feel I have to really work at songwriting and writing music and stuff like it's not something that just flows out of me naturally yeah i feel like when i when i'm firing on all cylinders i'm good at it i'm not like fishing for compliments in that but it's not something that's just like oh man i just kind of woke up this morning i had a song in my head and this happens every day you know or like oh i just decided to do some i'm painting over here and you know, I'm doing this other thing. It's like I just—I've chosen my discipline. This is what I do. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy is one of those people who is a true, a true artist in the sense that he can't not be doing that. What I wanted to ask you about was that that time back in 2004 when the United States Post Office got mad at you. <laughs> you remember this? I do remember that. Yeah, <laughs> I do remember that. Will you tell me? what happened and how that conflict ended up getting settled. The way I remember it was I had a call or an email from Tony Hewell and he said, um, hey, uh, we just got a cease and desist in the mail from the United States Postal Service for using the name (laughs) the Postal Service. U.S. Postal Service decided, like, well, you know, this is this could potentially be damaging to our brand, so we need to get out. We need to kind of do something about this. In the same, and in, in, in I think from their perspective, they they were they were basically saying, well, look, um, to say I'm going to Xerox something is now just it's just common usage. When if you're you don't say make me a copy of this, it's like, yeah, would you Xerox that for me? And in as as a company's name becomes just 
part of common language, common usage. But, uh, so they were worried that you guys existing, being a band that was called the Postal Service, was going to dilute their brand. That's how I understood it. So, okay. And they wanted you to change your name then? They wanted us to change our name, yeah. And, you know, I think my understanding was kind of Tony and Megan and Jonathan went back then and were like, well, look, um, there's like hundreds of thousands of these records out in, you know, the world now. It's The ship is kind of sold on... The ship is sold. The ship has sold. Uh, the ship has sailed, you know, on this being a thing that makes sense for us. You know, so can we just get together and just talk about this and maybe come up with some kind of compromise yeah. so we can all get what we want out of this. And thankfully for us, they agreed to do that. I went, I went down to LA and Tony and I, and I believe, I'm trying to remember who else was there. I feel Jonathan was probably there. And Jimmy and I, we went to like Century City and met in a, the conference room of a hotel with a bunch of like high ups at the United States Postal Service. Oh my God, service. was the Postmaster General there? Uh, was not there, okay. but you know, his, his, I'm not sure if it was a her at that point, but their underlings were there. And they were all very pleasant, you know, I don't have any, you know, but they were bureaucrats, very straight laced. And, you know, I think Jimmy and I went in thinking like, this is gonna be kind of funny. And then once we got in there, it kind of was not funny because, you know, they were all being pleasant enough, but I think we kind of got the message that this was like a serious thing. This is, this, this isn't a joke, you know, this, we're dealing with an organization that if they chose to, could pretty much turn out our lights. What was so interesting to me is like, you know, when we got in the room and we were talking about how to kind of make this work, it was very clear that they had no idea how the music industry works. They wanted to, they were there like, well, we can, you know, we can have a bunch of CDs and sell them at the postals, at, 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 at you know, post offices around the country. This will be a great way to kind of tie both things together. And I don't know if that ever happened. You might have to ask Tony if that actually ended up happening. But one of the concessions we made was that we would go and play uh, this convention in DC. I don't even remember what the did occasion you? was. We did. What was that like? Um, you know, like if you see like on TV or whatever, you'd see like the Apple presentations where like somebody gets up in front of it and they're doing multimedia and everything. It was like it was like that, but it was all like exciting things about the postal service and what the USPS had coming in the next couple of months. Like kind of like a, you know, like a, a like a, like a, like a, you know, a convention to get everybody psyched up, psyched up about going and working for the USPS. And everybody was just super nice and we just kind of rolled with it. And, you know, it was just like, it was kind of like that. It, it was, it reminded me of like, if I went back to my, see my family in Michigan, you know, and explain the band to them and like, well, it's called, you know, Death Cab for Cutie, that's, okay, Death Cab, we, no, it's not metal, it's not metal, like, it was kind of like that a little bit, you know, but it was fine, everybody was really nice, and that's kind of the last I heard about it, I think that, you know, they, they kind of granted us, you know, uh, I think the terms were that, so long as neither of us, I think they kept referring to Lindsay Lohan, they kept saying like, well, as long as, you know, none of you, neither of you guys goes all Lindsay Lohan, <laughs> 
I had to, had to check the time. I think, I feel like it was, it wasn't Lindsay Lohan, it was somebody like that. It was like, well, as long as they're not going all, you know, filling the name of the celebrity that is like fucking up and, you know, you know, having photos taken of themselves with their, with their pants down or whatever. Like, yeah. as long as there's no, you guys don't get arrested, then you guys can have a license to use, use this name as long as you want to use it. I, I, I mean, I, I suppose at any point they could call that in and they could say, like, you can't use the name anymore, but I don't see what would be the... I think that they have much bigger fish to fry right now than... Or maybe you'll get, like, a stamp. That would be amazing, right? Right? Yeah, that would be pretty amazing. Some sort of anniversary Oh, yeah, maybe stamp? the 20th anniversary yeah. of Give Up. Yeah, totally. That'd be pretty great. I'm going to plant that seed in someone's <laughs> mind. <laughs> You started running four years ago, right? About? I started running ultras four years ago. Ultras four years ago. When did you first start running? About, I guess coming up about 10 years ago. I just kind of like, you know, trying to manage my weight and, you know, just do something to make myself feel good about myself and just started, like I was working out at this gym, working out is kind of putting it maybe... (laughs) Is that too generous? Yeah, too generous. But um, yeah, and I was like just looking over at a treadmill and going like, I wonder if I could run like two miles. Like a mile seems like that would be pretty easy, but two miles, that might be kind of difficult. And so I just decided, I just was like, man, I'm gonna try it. And then it, I hated it and it felt terrible. And, but for some reason there was some kind of, uh, there was something driving me internally that was like, no, just keep doing it. Don't give up on it. And you know, after a while it started to kind of like feel good and started getting that like runner's high that people talk about like, oh wow, like this is, it's like actually, you know, I get it now, yeah. you know, but I didn't really get, I didn't, I wasn't really ever running more than like four or five miles. What was happening in your life that made you feel like you needed to take better care of yourself? Like you said, you wanted mm-hmm. to manage your weight, but like describe what your life was like. Like, how did you feel about yourself at that point? Well, I, I guess at that point I was like just, I was like 31, I think. Um, and I I had had, I think in my life it was that thing where like, there's a period that I, I experienced, like, and I think a lot of people do as well, through your 20s where like, whatever you do to your body has virtually no effect on your like outer appearance you know you can just do what you can put whatever you want into it you can do whatever you want to it and you know it will just it 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 stays roughly the same and then there was a period i mean it was i i think about 28 29 where like hangovers lasted longer late night pizza was i was starting to wear it you know (laughs) and um and i just kind of was like you know what like you know, I quit drinking around the same time in like early 2008, just because I knew I'd lost control of it and that if I didn't make a decision myself to change, somebody else was gonna try to make it for me. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Like I was gonna walk into a room and see a bunch of people sitting in a circle. Do you know what I mean? What, do you, did you feel like it was at that point with your drinking? I think it was, yeah. I mean, let's put it this way. There are, grad- there are people, different gradations of like alcohol abuse, drug addiction, alcoholism, whatever it might be. And there's always somebody that seemingly has it worse than you. Mm-hmm. So you can always look at somebody, and I had a lot of friends who were quote unquote worse than me, who at the time I could look at and go like, you know, well, I'm, I have a problem, but I don't have a problem like that guy has yeah. a problem. Did you feel good about making that decision, like doing it? 
Yeah, I mean, I've also I've also been always been. It's I have like a, it, my switch is either off or on, so yeah. which makes sense that I would like stop drinking and start running, and then eventually end up running like hundred mile races. You know, <laughs> like it wasn't like there's, you know, I mean, it's just is just the way. You know, I'm I'm either like kind of like underhanding the baseball to you, or I'm like throwing it as hard as I can. There's no in between. When I quit drinking, I had this experience that a lot of people I know who you know had drank a lot and then they stopped drinking. Like they start sleeping better, start waking up in the morning. You're like, oh my god, I feel great. Well, sometimes you know? not feeling bad feels amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not to mention you're like, what's all this stuff in my pocket? Like, oh, it's money. Like what? <laughs> this what? What is this? Why do I have all this money now? It's like, yes. oh yeah, you're you're not giving it to like a bartender, so it's just staying in your pocket. Or a cab driver. Yeah, or a cab driver. Right. Yeah, it's it's actually you're just able you you can keep it now. Mm-hmm. You don't have because you're not putting like. You know, 80 of them, you know, you're not giving 80 of them a night to like a bartender, so, or whatever it might be. So. Did you replace one addiction with another? I, I feel like running is something that, I guess I get, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll say yes, I did. You know, I, I did. I, 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 uh, I replaced one addiction with another. And I always like to think about it in, you know, when I first read Murakami's, what I talk about when I talk about running, you know, he made this point that I, 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 ver- I very much agreed with and find myself paraphrasing all the time, which is a lot of people think that, uh, you know, writing, being a writer, a musician, a creative person is in and of itself uh, somewhat of a destructive act, even though you are making something. Because when you're sitting alone by yourself for hours on end trying to kind of drudge out, you know, these parts of yourself that you've kind of pushed down very far, you know, that leaves you with a certain kind of deficit. And, you know, the kind of classic romantic notion of the artist is that the artist or the musician is like a drug addict or a drinker or a sex addict, or there are these, that they medicate this somewhat unhealthy act of being a creative person and a writer with other negative, uh, other destructive acts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that those destructive acts will then feed back into uh, the work that they're making. And Murakami's point, which I agree with, is that you need a counterweight. You need something in your life that is not to balance out the, you know, the kind of self-destruction that, you know, you are kind of employed in as a writer of any, or a creative person of any kind when you're giving so much of yourself and you're dredging out so much of yourself. You need something positive to balance that out. And that's what running is for me creatively. Um, and I, I, I really related to that when I read it because I felt like, you know, I want a part of my life to not be creative. I want a part of my life that is, I want to be able to walk away from whatever I'm working on and go and just not have to think about anything. Some, and that, you know, people do that with drugs, they do that with drinking, they do that with sex, whatever else. But for me personally, I would much rather have that be something that is you know, bring some kind of positivity into my life rather than just kind of dig me, dig me even deeper. So you just finished a hundred mile race, which took you just over 25 hours. Did you? There's no sleeping in that, right? That's just no sleeping for me. No, no sleeping for you. No. You're just going straight through. How has doing something like that changed how you see yourself? Well, I think 
it's very rare that adults do things just to do them. You know, like when you were a kid, you would go like, um, I wonder if I can climb that tree. Not because there's going to be like a prize for doing it, but just like, yeah, I don't want to see if I can get to the top of that tree. And then your friend was like, hey, did you see me? I got to the top of the tree. He's like, you did. Oh my God, it's amazing. And then somewhere as we grow older, we just kind of lose, I think a lot of people lose that, that kind of spirit. They, or that's kind of just beaten out of them by the realities and the responsibilities of life, you know? And, um, and you know, there's very little room for play, you know? Like adults need to play. For me, running 100 miles was, I, like, I wanna do this. I wanna see if I can do this. Like, I, you know, it's like, and at the end of the day, it's like, I get a buckle. Like, that's what, that's the, that is like, <laughs> that is the, that's the currency of the 100 mile race, is a buckle, mm -hmm. like a belt buckle. I, I mean, I'm 40 years old and I feel more vibrant than I did 10 years ago, to a certain extent because of, you know, trail, mountain, ultra running, and my love of that. But more so, like, I just feel like I've unlocked something in myself that I had, like, really, like, let kind of lay dormant and almost die, which is, you know, that childlike kind of um, excitement about being in the woods. I feel like a kid, and all my friends who run, we, that we, when we get together and run together, it's like somebody will inevitably be like, oh, I feel like a kid right now. You know, or when it's snowing, like you know, it was in January, it was kind of snowing on Tiger Mountain and Squawk, and I was on a run with some friends. And we're like on the top, like this is amazing, like just running down these like trails that are covered in snow, and you're kind of sliding down and stuff. And it's like this isn't the kind of thing that if I hadn't if I hadn't found this, I never would be doing this right now. And you know, the adult world is gonna, it's not going anywhere. You know, like my adult responsibilities are not, they're not going away you know, because I'm you know, out here on the trails, but like just getting four or five hours of not having to kind of think about that while also kind of, in my, you know, being able to really appreciate just what a beautiful area of the country we live in. It's just great. I love it. So a couple things coming out of that interview that I just want to get on the record here about the Postal Service and that lawsuit between the Postal Service and the Postal Service or the Postal Service and Sub Pop representing was it a the Postal Service. No, it wasn't. It was a, a legal negotiation. Uh, and this it wasn't a cease and desist, first of all. It, it was not? No. What it was was an email from the U.S. Postal Service saying hey, we're going to send you a cease and desist. Uh, you're about to get a cease and desist? Yeah. It was like, cease and desist, or we're going to give you a cease and desist. <laughs> it's that email. And Tony still has it up in, at his desk. He does. Yeah. And I just read it. And it's, oh. it's amazing. And there are all these things that they outline of what the Postal Service, the band, needs to do, including, uh, but not limited to, <laughs> we will let you say the band formerly known as the Postal Service for six months after you change your name. Wow. And we will send out a press release on your behalf. Wow. Yeah. Good thing it didn't work out that way. <laughs> anyway, but like the Postal Service, as Ben said, ended up being really nice about it. And one thing he said that he couldn't remember if it totally happened was the selling CDs at the post office, mm -hmm. which did totally happen. It did? Yes. And Point of purchase? Those CDs are specially packaged CDs that were only available at post offices, at certain uh, post offices. Did they have so, stamps in them? 
You know, I don't know. That's a really good question. But it was special packaging. And if anyone has a a version that they got at the post office, please take a picture and send it to us because I haven't ever seen. It's probably only on eBay. This special packaging. Yeah. And uh, one last thing, the moral, the morality clause. Um, well, I guess actually two last things. <laughs> the morality clause. Morality clause. Yeah. The, where they were saying, as long as you don't act like Lindsay Lohan, then it's fine. And you oh, can right, keep using right. the name. Uh, it wasn't Lindsay Lohan, but it was someone, it was a celebrity who did live in Seattle at some point. I wonder who that could be. I will let you try and figure out her name on your own, huh. listener. Who could that be? They, But basically it was, as long as you're not acting like this unknown person. It was pretty much like, don't be, don't be a jerk. Don't drive drunk. Be good. Be upstanding. Be nice to people. And then you could be the postal service. Said the postal service. (laughs) Said the postmaster general. Just be good little lads out there. And then, oh, the last thing that um, I really do hope a stamp happens for the 20th anniversary of Give Up. I think that would be really cool. Wait, you want a postal service stamp from the postal service? Yes. Do you now, since this is something you want, it says Give Up. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know if you wanted like their faces on it or the album cover. Or I it just would. says give up. A stamp that says give up. Yeah, I want a stamp that says give up. Sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <sighs> okay, and I want to know if there were stamps in the special packaging of the Postal Service, Postal Service. Yes. And you know that had to cause some confusion. Like people thought, is this a Postal Service? Well, band. here's the thing. The, Lo- <laughs> the band by Postal One of the Service things Rutgers. in the letter, the pre-cease and desist letter, mm-hmm. was the Postal Service saying, we've put out CDs before. Oh, like compilations or something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it got real murky. But I'm really glad that everyone figured that out mm-hmm. and that they were able to play that show, that everything was cool. All's, out. All's well that ends well? All's well that ends well. Please... Sign the letters and thank you notes. You can send us mail too. We have sub pop postcards. We support the postal service. Please oh, don't get mad. We do sub yeah. pop podcast postcards. Sub even. pop podcast postcards available at the airport store. Or us if you just ask us, we'll email you one. Or no, email. We'll mail you one. <laughs> Any listener who wants a postcard from us, I would totally mail them a postcard. You would. I I do know that about our one. Yeah. That is true. I do like that uh, Ben had a little accidental misspeak and said ship has sold. That's the kind of thing that our general manager writes down in meetings if you oh, misspeak yeah. like that, and uh, which I, I do all the time, obviously. I think my worst one was in a meeting where I said, I'm not trying to milk a dead cow here. <laughs> and it stopped whatever point I was trying to make because everyone was just... Horrifically grossed out. I, I said, I'm not. Oh, I said I'm not trying to milk a dead horse. Like beat a dead horse. Right. I don't know. Oh, Alyssa. Yeah, I might as well get in front of that because people use that against me all the time. But yeah, so misspeaking. I have fond affection. Is that fond affection? Is that why you like me so much? (laughs) And Carly does it a lot too. Does she? Yeah, the marketing director. She seems so articulate. She is. She just also doesn't care at all if she misspeaks. She's mm-hmm. like, that's your problem, not mine. <laughs> the ship is sold and it's gone. Speaking of the ship has sold, it's the end of the episode. Next time on the Sub Pop Podcast. This episode has sold. 
Um, we don't know. Well, we do know, but we don't know if we want to tell yet. Right? We have some ideas. I, we know that Kathleen Hanna will be part of it. Well, she will be involved. Yeah. And she yeah. sings to me over the phone. Ooh. Well, maybe we don't need anything more than that. I, I'm not sure. I that. don't think that I honestly in my life need anything more than that. It was <laughs> it was done. a high point for me. Are you kidding me? Kathleen Hanna singing over the phone? <laughs> Did you have to lay down on the ground to receive that information? If I could have reached the microphone from there, I would have. Because I was apoplectic at that moment. She's incredible. Oh anyway, boy. so that's next time. Okay, what music did we hear today? What music didn't we hear? Uh, JK, we heard Mud Honey. <laughs> we heard... <laughs> We heard Mud Honey, The Postal Service, Dentel, Chastity Belt, Don Gibson, Dum Dum Girls, Colin Omori, Deaf Wish, Lelou's, Taco Cat, and The Murder City Devils. They sure did. Please visit us on social media, Twitter, Facebook. That's it right now. But yeah. Sub Pop FM, our website. Yeah, check out the show notes. It's excellent. Subscribe. Very good things there. Um, also, I mean it. I'll send you a postcard. Email us. Yeah. To get some mail. Yeah podcast at subpop.com and then give me your address and I'll do it <laughs> in exchange for a subscription oh I mean I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hold it hostage really I would if you want one from me that's what it's gonna cost <laughs> proof of subscription <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks um, to the staff <laughs> and the big bosses at Sub Pop and Hardly Art thank you listeners this has been another edition of the Sub Pop podcast absolutely nothing sounds better it's true. I'm not Canadian. I'm not Canadian either. I know. Alanis Morissette was on that show. She's Canadian. True.